Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi-de-ho, all you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. This is your boy, Ron Dawson, coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all of the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. Every other week, I have engaging and informative conversations about culture and craft with artists, entrepreneurs, and filmmakers doing amazing work in the world of film and television. Now, today I bring you part two of my interview with film and television producer extraordinaire Yolanda Cochran. Yolanda is a member of the PGA and the Academy, and she has a career that spans nearly three decades in increasingly greater producer roles. She was head of physical production at Alcon Entertainment, a consultant to Netflix, SVP of TV production at ABC's Freeform, and as of this episode, EVP of live TV production at Nickelodeon. Part one covered the state of gender and race in Hollywood. This week, we get into the various different roles of producer and how they differ in feature film production versus television. Like I said in the last episode, this is a great series to share with anyone who's interested in learning about this business overall. It's kind of like a mini business slash film school class. All right, let's get to my interview with Yolanda T. Cochran. See you on the other side. I want to turn the corner um, and talk about, you know, uh, the industry. You've been now on both the television side and the film side. So one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, what, uh, what are the what are the, like the key differences between working in television and working in film, um, or are the lines more blurred now because of how television has, you know, has how it's evolved. But, you know, are there still enough differences where you're able to, like, comment on them? Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, the obvious is, like, you know, budgets are different. Although TV budgets now, wow, (laughs) they are up there. I mean, I can't imagine the the budget for underground world. Especially over the course of a season. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're spending real money. In, t- in television now um the the number one and to me to me having worked because i was so frustrated at not at having so many doors not open for me in television mm-hmm. because i had it previously worked in television and the, and one of the one of the things that led to me getting my opportunity finally was i had a producer friend who i'd worked with on a feature who had transitioned, she was a line producer. She transitioned from films to TV. And um, great lady, um, Chris Connie. And I asked her, I, I finally said, I need to, if I, maybe there's something, maybe there's something I'm not gonna know how to do. Maybe there's a lot I'm not gonna know how to do. And there's a real reason why I shouldn't be getting a job in TV because I'll fail because I won't know what the hell I'm doing. And so I was like, I need to go and find out, observe and find out what, it, what these things are that I don't know how to do or that I won't know how to do. And so I contacted her. She was, she was working, producing a television show. I said, can I come shadow you for a couple episodes? She, you know, she asked the studio, she asked you know, the executive producers on, the, on the, the television series. And they said, sure, of course. So then I came and I, um, shadowed her and I got exponentially more angry at realizing there was nothing <laughs> that I wasn't getting there yes there were some differences but nothing that I couldn't pick up within you know a month or two right <laughs> and even then maybe not that long so um having now worked in television for whatever it is three years four years, four years. Um, For me, the primary and sole and only meaningful difference Mm -hmm. is that TV is fully led by writers Hmm. and producers. Yeah. And features are 
led by directors and producers. I mean, producers, producers have a major role in film, but as the production is, is being made, you know, mm-hmm. especially once it's act, once it actually has a green light and it goes, you know, the leader of that ship is a director in, in tandem with their producer. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a different rhythm to the shooting and the production, you know, right. schedule and all of those things. But aside from that, it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's production. It's still, you know, you're creating, you're filming, you're, you know, and, and just like in film, the amount of resources you have for any particular television project will dictate, you know, how it comes across on screen, mm-hmm. you know, but that's the same for features as well. You know, the mm-hmm. more money you have, sometimes the better. <laughs> it right. Is. Yeah. You know. Is it, um, is it a worthwhile goal for people nowadays to aspire to have a role like yours like is that something uh, that, what do you mean? well so like you know let's say i'm coming out of film school and i want to maybe I have i have a, a double major in business administration and film and i want to be a vice president of development at a major studio or something like, i want to be some kind of studio executive uh, mm-hmm. you know if, if your if your aspirations are to be like a director or a writer you go you write and direct you just do it and then yeah right you know, but if you, if you really wanted to be in the quote-unquote business side the business world and climb yeah. up the ladder mm-hmm. like is it is it like is that is it is it something that a person can do nowadays like or is it like the business is so different like the way you got there it's because I know originally you were in production accounting and then eventually you got hired at yeah. Disney and, and then you got to Alcon and, and, you know, this was back in the mid nineties, whatnot, you know, now as a person yeah. coming out of SC, if they want to be, you know, an executive at Nickelodeon, is there a path? I guess is the yeah, question. Yeah. There's no, actually, there's probably never been a better time if you want, if this is the kind of work that you want to do oh okay tell me on on either the creative or the the you know the physical production side um because there's such an explosion of content being made right now and it's something that i'm i'm regularly having conversations with colleagues and counterparts at other you know studios and production companies about um which is there's so much production happening right now it's you know we're all competing with each other to find the resources across the board by that i Mm -hmm. mean crew locations places to shoot you know um uh stages all kinds of things um Mm -hmm. you know equipment all these things so there's so much happening and, and, and now there are so many different content companies popping up and so many people like now with all the streaming happening, all the different streaming platforms coming online as well, they're needing to fill that with new content. And so mm-hmm. not only is there more content being made across, you know, in all the production centers, they need people to oversee mm-hmm. that stuff. They need mm. people to find, you know, on the development creative side, they need people to go out and find this material that, you know, that's right. worthwhile for us to all go out and make. And so there's a lot of jobs out there. There's, there's, I've seen, you know, so many posts, you know, even within my, you know, realm and like, what you know, the different, the work that I do and the people who do the kind of work that I do, there's a lot of jobs popping up for people. And, and I actually have a position that I need for myself because we're going to start making a significant amount more content for Nickelodeon that will go to Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for someone and, you know, whereas before, you know, you'd put out a job 
on, you know, on a message board or whatever and say, Hey, you know, we're looking blah, blah, blah. And there'd be some people. It's like, there's not a lot of people who are experiencing, you know, at this level or whatever, who are looking for work. So mm-hmm. if you're somebody who is aspiring to have this type of position, it's an excellent time to be starting. In, and what in, kind of work yeah. or experience do you need to have if you want to go down that path? Well, having, if you have film education, you know, that helps if you've, if you've created content yourself specifically, that is probably a must. You, you need to have some kind of, ideally, some kind of direct production experience. So if you can get, mm-hmm. if you can get work, you know, ahead as like, you know, a PA in any capacity, whether that be mm-hmm. an office PA, a set PA, work your way up a bit to being, you know, a coordinator, production office coordinator or a key set PA or even AD, those kinds of things. And then, then you'd want to come in entry level to something of like a coordinator position in the studio side when those, mm-hmm. when those positions open up. Yeah. That's basically the path, but you want to, on the development side <clears throat> and creative, it's generally you need to come up as an assistant, you know, Mm-hmm. A film, a film background, education, having studied film, and then be an assistant to someone in development, and then work your way up as a coordinator and so right. on and so forth is typically how that path goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you were saying that one of the big differences between TV uh, and movies. What well, you're saying that both TV and movies have producers. Are the producer roles different in both? Like if I'm yeah. a producer in film, is it different than if I'm a producer and, and how so? Yeah. So in film, you typically will have one of the following. You'll be one of the following type of producer. You'll be the highest uh, credit, producer credit in film is producer, produced by. Mm-hmm followed thereafter by executive producer followed thereafter by co-producer oh like a regular producer is a higher than an executive producer on film yes in film yes interesting that's the highest yeah um then exec then co Mm -hmm. and then associate producer Mm -hmm. associate producer title is you know pretty that's lowest lowest on on totem pole a produced by producer will typically be someone who is tied to the IP. They're the person who's the reason why the project's getting made mm. mm-hmm. from a creative standpoint, right? not financial, <laughs> yeah. from a creative standpoint. They went and either found the material and or attached the talent, um, pitched it, got some studio or production company to say, yes, we will make this. They're the the driver. They're with the project from the very, from the time it didn't even exist to it became an idea to whatever, to the very, very end of, you know, marketing it and putting it out into, you know, the, you know, the world. Mm-hmm. Executive producers are, can be lots of different things. They could be a big name who, you know, somehow gets affiliated with it. And because they're now associated with it, the film gets made, i.e. Uh, a Steven Spielberg or mm-hmm. a Martin Scorsese or somebody like that who, for whatever reason, may have become aware of the material, like the material, know the, the producer who's associated with it. Maybe they... Um, Maybe because of whatever deal they have with, you know, production company, this material comes under their radar or uh, under their overall deal, or maybe they find out about it and then become um, involved with it, but aren't so into the day-to-day of producing it. Mm -hmm. Then there's executive producers who are just the money. 
they're bringing mm-hmm. in the money to get it made they're not even really involved with getting it made at all but they're the people who it's getting made because they're paying for it right a lot of people will argue that those people aren't producers at all <laughs> they're financiers <laughs> right um but they get this title because if it were not for them the movie would not be getting made so yeah. you know whatever um then you have co-producers those that can be a lot of different things a lot of times co-producers are people who in most times actually they're people who are involved heavily with the making of the movie Mm -hmm. so all of the things that have to happen and get managed to make the movie oftentimes a line producer will get this title Mm mm-hmm also um you know other people involved with the project i actually used to get um my co-producer credits on my alcon films because i worked hand in hand in tandem with my line producers and was involved in making sure that everything that needed to happen to get that movie made happened and not only during the shooting period which is when I would be working hand in hand with our line producer, who's only involved during the shooting period. I was involved in the beginning when we were considering it, the movie and you know the evaluation of where do we go? How do we put it together? How are mm-hmm. we gonna get the money? What's the schedule? What's the budget? Who are the people? Where are we going? Right. Then line producer you know, comes on and is involved with that. And then the line producer is done when we wrap shooting, but then I would then oversee all of it and work hand in hand with kind of like the post line producer who's the post supervisor right um and and making sure everything stayed on schedule and happened all the way through to delivery of the movie to our distributor so that's a co-producer and then um there's also co-producers who are on the creative side who might be tied to the producer but not directly a producer so a lot of times producers will have development partners who get like a co-producer credit and then associate producers that's i mean i don't even really know how to describe <laughs> associate producers they tend to be people who somebody wants to give somebody a producer credit but they kind of really shouldn't be getting it so they get an associate producer credit because right. it's the lowest one right, <laughs> and it right. usually it doesn't show up in the main title so right, right. yeah yeah and then on the tv side the executive the tv side the highest, the highest yeah. Ex, yeah executive producer oh and by the way higher level line producers and features get an executive producer credit which mm. you know they deserve like because yeah. that's the second one and the second right, anyway right. so then executive producers on the tv side are the highest credit and that's typically your writer showrunner mm-hmm. um then you have below that you have um and i might get the order a little bit wrong you have co-EPs mm-hmm. um, sometimes those are um, a lot of times a co-EP will be somebody who is the number two to the showrunner mm-hmm. or could be a co-showrunner um, you have co-EPs you have supervising producers um, you have um, consulting producers which actually that's that can kind of be somebody who's a higher level person who's just coming in and working a bit with the show, but not full time. So that's kind of not in the order, but mm-hmm. consulting producers, then you have producer and then you have co-producer. Now, all of these people are writers. Hmm. And this is basically just an order of mm-hmm. like all of most when you're at the higher level, when you're above what's called a story editor, executive story editor level, you start getting a producer credit. And Mm -hmm. these are all writers. Hmm. And so basically this is just an order that tells you kind of the seniority of that writer. Right, right, right. Um, And the producing role is different TV. Like really, I mean, I, I will probably get in trouble for saying this, but the the writers who are getting producer credits on those shows it's not like they're actually you know they're not in there involved with 
all of the many things that need to happen to produce that show. But except for when they are producing their own episode mm-hmm. that they wrote, mm-hmm. then they they come to all of the the meetings pertaining to that episode. They come to the tone meeting. They come to the production meeting. They you know, and they are on set mm-hmm. when that episode is being shot so that they make sure that the intent of what was written is being done in that episode and so they're making sure that everything and then oftentimes the showrunner will be there as well you know making sure so um and you know in in television and and rightfully so producing the show is all about the writing which is why I say in television, you know, like it's mm-hmm. all about writers. The writing is so integral to television that, you know, it's not a misnomer to say writers are producing that show because they are, produ- you know, like right. it, everything is so endemic to what is being written. They're producing this content. But what people traditionally think about producing something, they're not doing all of those things all the time and being directly involved with the making of all of the episodes mm-hmm. just theirs unless they're the executive producer right. showrunner and then they're involved in every single thing like everything yeah. yeah so that person is is a tradition you know what you might traditionally think of as a producer as a producer um yeah i want to be respectful of your time do you have a hard stop that's coming up anytime yeah, no 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 i'm good I'm okay good. I'm good. um um because the other question i wanted to ask you you know some of the you know, there, there are a few. Okay. Um, I'll have to be respectful of my time too, but there's so much. Yeah. That I, wanna, <laughs> I know. There's so much. I wanna, um, a f- so a few things that I wanted to pick your brain on. You were talking about like the need for content and, you know, as, and, and what that's like. And, you know, as of this recording, you know, you know, full disclosure, you and I are collaborating on some stuff. What has yeah. been, what has been, you know, we're, we're trying to pitch this, you know, a television version of my of my my memoir my satirical memoir um for you personally um what has been one of the most important lessons you've learned from the various pitches that we've done for our show um mm-hmm. i'm just curious for you personally you know and deep to give quick context for, for listeners i wrote this book it's being published but yolanda and her husband and i we've been friends and collaborated for many years and so we want to make a an animated version of the book and so we've been um pitching it to various people and producers and whatnot and so we've all learned i've learned certain things but i'm curious to know from the process that you hey jd saying hello to her husband um from the process you know we've gone through this process where you know every other week or so we meet with somebody from a production company or, or whatnot, or we'll meet with a friend of yours who will be kind enough to give us feedback. What has been some of the things that you've learned personally about the pitching process, maybe, that um, you find yeah. useful, that you found useful? You know, um, I, to be honest, it's crazy. I I've been so proud of us because I think mm-hmm. we've been doing such a great job. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the what I guess probably my biggest thing about it, which I kind of knew before, but I really know now having experienced it is, and I said this to someone, it's like being, it's like being a performer in a stage play hmm. because every night is different mm-hmm. and the audience, you know, depending yeah. on who's in the, you know, like what the totally. audience, what's the vibe of the, Oh, who's that person sitting in the front row? Right. 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 Oh, so-and-so's out there, blah, blah, blah. Or, um, or, you know, how is the audience laughing? Did they laugh at the laugh beat? Right. 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 You know, or did it, you know, did it kind of fall flat? You know, it's funny, but the audience just isn't feeling it or, you know, was I late getting to the theater that day and now I'm rushing in to, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, am I, was I able to like, you know, hang out in my dressing room and like get myself ready and feel good? Or did right. I get some good news before, you know, like your, your essence of what is going on around you and in that, that show night, mm-hmm. yourself and your audience like really has an, um, 
an effect on the pitch. Yeah. And so it really feels it. So someone's like, man, that we had a great night last night or, you know, oh, you know, that was, it was okay, but not right. our best, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, it, which is, has been, you know, interesting and fun and enjoyable. But aside from that, I feel like we've been doing really well. I mean, my biggest takeaway other than that is um, even though there's a lot, there's a, there's a big market out there because people need a, the content is needed. You really got to have a something material that's compelling that someone mm-hmm. thinks is good and worthy of doing, which I believe we do. And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, evidenced by the response we've gotten to the material specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, there's then the marketplace of it and like how to package it and how to get it out there. And particularly mm-hmm. in television, like it would be interesting. It would be interesting if we were pitching it as a feature. What might be different about mm. this? Mm. Um, and so, specific to this, my biggest takeaway is I truly believe that if we had like a sexy name showrunner associated mm-hmm. with this that wanted to do that do this with us, we would probably. we would sell it i think we would sell it yeah um i'm i feel pretty darn confident like if there were you know i could think of a few names of even people we pitched to Mm -hmm. that if we if they wanted to you know come on board and be showrunner for it we could sell the show yeah yeah no it's funny because we aren't in that realm you know we haven't sold it yet yeah no i think that's really insightful and it's definitely one of my my big takeaways. You know, you know, I joked that, uh, you know, if I was a, if I wasn't a if I was a somebody, uh, we probably be mm-hmm. so, it probably would mm-hmm. be sold. Like you said, because the response the response has been like none of these people need to pretend to enjoy it or to laugh, and uh, and your your stage play analogy. Another one that I thought of was for me the person who's giving the pitch. It, it does feel like a, a like a stand up routine because yeah, obviously, yeah, the, yeah. you know the pitch is designed to be <laughs> yeah. funny designed to be funny right. and we do it on zoom obviously because of a pandemic and so you know sometimes i'll hide the zoom screen of the people because i don't want to be distracted like if yeah. they're not laughing but you know the times where i've kept their images up where i can see their faces and where they have been laughing and response like i feel that energy and it totally like you and you and JD have commented on it as well. It's like I feel that energy and and Mm -hmm. translates into the pitch. And you know, I think that um, you know Yeah, and it elevates the performance. Yeah, it elevates performance. And I've and I've never felt, you know, obviously, you know, when we when when we give a good pitch and we're like, Yeah, we knocked that out of the park, and then they come back and say, you know, and they say that they can't do it. I actually, you know, usually I feel encouraged because you know, we usually get good feedback. And I understand the reality of what we're doing. And like I've said, you guys, I just feel like this, this is just to give us a better story to tell when we do eventually, because mm-hmm. I feel that strong about mm-hmm. it. And, um, yeah, and, exactly. you know, I feel like we'll, we'll get people coming back saying, oh, I should have, you know, they're saying, darn, because yep. I, yep. I feel that confident yep. about it. Um, but I, but one, I, yeah, I think, you know, for people listening, I think the idea of like being, um, like you just like being consistent and like and and not you know i know it sounds cliche but like not giving up continuing to put it out there when i think about i mean i think about you know i think i brought this up too you know how long it took ryan reynolds to get uh deadpool made or or think about how long it took barry jenkins to get underground railroad made um you know these people who you know sometimes do have names are big stars right. or, or and even takes them years to get stuff made right you know to get your yep. made so yep. you just have to, you have to, yep. you, have to yep. you have to put at it um uh so yeah no i think there's i really truly really believe like it's like you know i have a couple things where i'm like there's no reason for that you know i have no like uh evidence to to have the reason to believe but there's just, i have you know at least two things and one of it being this one that i'm like this is gonna get made yeah <laughs> and i'm just like 
it's just a matter of time and that it just like it's just yeah like yeah. i just believe it it's just gonna i know it's gonna happen yeah it's just yeah. like when like at some point uh, who knows when but it's gonna happen right so, right yeah it's uh, like you say and so uh it's uh you know like you say the the telling the story i mm-hmm. laugh to myself because i can project myself into the future and see a right. story and like i can and be like oh what what we this came here and we didn't do it right. <laughs> whatever you know so heads are gonna roll yeah. <laughs> joking um, i can't wait to tell the story too about the book and like you know what are you trying to say like the the publisher we tried the oh right original, oh my uh, gosh. the the literary agent it was a lit like, agent do you know what you're saying? yeah 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 what are you trying a, to say here right was, <laughs> i don't get it um uh one of the things that you had mentioned you're interested in talking about, and you've you've talked about this before, is this idea of bringing your whole authentic self as a creator to a project. Mm-hmm. And this is something you've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean by that? Comment on that. And I'm like, how does that play out for people who are creating content and doing their own stuff? What does that mean? I can give you a perfect example. So I was talking to a writer yesterday who I met um, he applied to the Walt Disney Writers Program. I was involved in the selection process of that. A bunch of really, really great people, but I especially um, enjoyed, you know, meeting him and interfacing with him and the kind of guy he was and his voice. And so uh, he and one other person I reached out to separately and said, "Hey, I'd just like to remain in contact because I just." Feel like you know they have this thing that's like this is obviously somebody who's going to be very successful um, mm. in the business and i would just like to you know keep that relationship so maybe who knows potentially work with him so i um he we caught up the other day he's finished with the program he wrote for one of their shows and he's sending out you know some stuff to to get some representation and he asked me he wrote he has a sample that is um, that is very much of him. I say of him. It's like his voice. His it's it's very specific to him and his voice and, and mm-hmm. you know what he likes to do and what and so he said is should I be should I be sending that around or should I be sending around more of like you know what is what would be typical of a particular show or you know what what the marketplace is responding to. And I said to him, from my perspective, and perhaps it's the wrong advice, you need to bring you to your work. And it's something mm. that I'm doing. I'm, I'm very much increasingly, and I said, particularly after the pandemic and lots of reflection, like all of us in the pandemic of bringing all of myself to everything that I do and the reason I think that that's the right choice is because that's going to be the value that you're bringing to the table. Hmm. Like nobody else is you. Nobody else has that voice. Um, and, you know, for any particular project, and any and, and someone who's going to represent you because he asked the question in the context of trying to find representations and you're going to want someone who's going to know how to represent you who, who knows who you are what your strengths are what you bring to the table to be able to present that because that's those those are the places where you're going to do your best work you're going to be able to do, you know, you're going to be able to, things are going to be able to flow better when you're able to bring all of yourself to what you're doing in that voice. And I, you know, I truly believe that. I mean, like, and I'm on this thing about bringing your authentic self. And also, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, this thing about candor, that's big for me. I, I use the word candor, but I, I, I've also, I call it truth telling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting big on truth telling and people mm-hmm. 
not that people are running around, you know, being manipulative or, you know, necessarily playing a game so much, but I feel like people are unaccustomed to candor Mm -hmm. in the workplace. And so you don't even have to be saying any, anything offensive for people to be put a little bit, (laughs) you know, off kilter Mm. by saying something that is just the truth or candid like people just some I said people don't necessarily this is something I was saying to you a mentee that I have in the in the women in film producers program people are just not accustomed to people saying what they think Mm -hmm. or what they're thinking or what's what's obvious or what might not be the oh we're trying to massage this situation and then here's the thing you can be unoffensive but also speak the truth Mm-hmm. It's just that people, a lot of times people are afraid to do so. Right. And so then people aren't used to having that happen. And so when right. someone does, it's like, oh my God, right. <laughs> she just said, what? <laughs> like, you know, so, and I just feel like for me, I have a lot to offer. I know who I am. I know what my strengths are. I know what I can do what I can do in a in an organization and toward an effort of a project that will be helpful and useful and set it up for success and so I'm going to bring you that I'm going to give you that part of me that stuff and I'm going to tell you and I'm going to and the other thing is I just don't have time it's more efficient and expedient to work that way in mm-hmm. my world for me than to try and do it differently like right. why would I I you know I I don't now we did have the conversation about my email writing but <laughs> you know I don't have a lot of time to try and be something that I'm not because I have yeah. too many other things that I'm trying to get done yeah and for context you know. for the for the listeners on a previous conversation Yolanda and I had, we were commenting on just so that you don't come across as the angry black woman, you have to read and rewrite and read and rewrite your emails to get the, you know, to get the cadence and everything in it just right. So that when you send it out, the people who receive those emails don't, you know, have you come off as the angry black woman. And it's, and it's, and it's a sentiment I hear from other black women. I've heard from other black women um, in the workplace, both in in the entertainment world and outside of the entertainment world, um, that that adds time to your day. Yeah, so yeah, I can, I can definitely. <laughs> um, it's funny mentioning about the whole women thing. Um, so, uh, my lady friend Virginia recently watched um, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Uh huh. That was one of the movies yeah. you produced, right? And yep. She said there were some there were some parts of that movie that were problematic from a feminism point of view. Do yes, you, <laughs> and she wanted me. To, she said, "Tell Yolanda there are some feminist issues with that movie." I guess something about, I guess like, like one there was an older guy. I guess with a one of the girls, like one of the four girls was with an older yes. gentleman, and there was another one where the girl is trying to please the boy or something like that yep 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 that's all in there it was a different time care to comment (laughs) miss cochran (laughs) different time yeah it's interesting i'm i am sure had we done those films now we Mm -hmm. definitely would have made some adjustments for certain Mm. although i will say the the um the storyline of the girl with the older boy mm-hmm. that is challenging uh for reasons you might imagine mm-hmm. but i would say that it is not dissimilar than real life so in that yeah. in that particular case mm-hmm. i don't know necessarily that that it would require so much adjustment Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's problematic for the reasons why it's problematic in real life. Right. 
Uh, yes. If it in the other, I mean, you might there could be an argument for the other as well, and, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, hopefully, we're coming out of it. But there is a lot of, you know, the socialization of girls is to do things to please the opposite sex. Right. So that's real life too. So yeah. it's not like that's not cool. Yeah. But yeah. it's real. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so. uh, and again, I, I, another tangentially related topic as relates to, uh, uh, I guess, sexism in Hollywood. Um, you know, the Me Too movement has been going for a while. And as of this recording in this interview, the newest season of uh, Master and None has started on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the co-creators of that is... Um, Aziz Ansari. And so, you know, I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago, but he got riled up in something where basically, long story short, a woman accused him of being inappropriate on a date. And there was this power dynamic that he supposedly took advantage of. He was very sorry about it. He didn't know. Um, On the grand scheme of the spectrum of horribleness in Hollywood, I think it's empirically on the lower end. Like he wasn't anywhere near like, like right. Kevin Spacey or 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 Harvey Weinstein. Um, but you know, and so, but you know, there's been this conversation that you know in this new season he's not in it as much, but he's directing it, and I've heard rave, nothing but rave reviews about it. But I'm just curious to your, you know, your thoughts on the, you know the uh uh you know when a person gets caught up in something like that you know is there is there room for when is there room for forgiveness um should they be canceled forever you know if you have an idea on like when i when i hear about the aziz ansari story i think um you know it kind of sounds like it was you know to one extent i want to believe the woman and i i do believe that she believes that there was some power dynamic that he did that was taken right. advantage of that he may have been completely mm-hmm. oblivious to, and which I think is part of the issue in this in this business. Yeah. yeah. Versus a monster like Weinstein, who was, you know, really yeah. doing the kind of things he was doing. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, yeah, it kind of seems, yeah, it was probably a crappy thing to do, whatever he did, but it doesn't sound like like it doesn't feel like is worth canceling or whatnot you know what i'm saying and, right, I, yeah, and your yeah. thoughts yeah. on that but i'm not a woman uh, but i'm also not a woman so it, sure. it doesn't hit me the same i'm just curious what your thoughts on particularly someone who i know has you have strong issues top you have strong I thoughts do. about yeah. things like that yeah it's a complex it's a complex um consideration however i will say simply that um Ignorance is not an excuse. It's not a, you know, get out of jail free card. Right. Uh, but I think um, I think intent is an important consideration mm-hmm. in, in all of these things. Again, ignorance not being, mm-hmm. you know, you know, an excuse or uh, the thing that gets you off. Right. It. Because, you know, um, I think intent is important. And I think that, you know, J.D. and I frequently will say, because a lot of people, you know, on, on all sorts of contentious topics will be, well, you're infringing on my freedom of speech. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, now I can't say it's like, no, you're free to say whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. But then we're also free to respond respond right how we see fit to whatever it is you had to say (laughs) you know so so when someone has done something that is inappropriate or or any of those things it's like okay look you're now going to have to reckon with your actions if someone, none of us, none of us is, is innocent of being, having never been offensive about something, none of us are. So I feel like in these conversations, people 
need to acknowledge fault or acknowledge where they were wrong. And if they do so, and if they genuinely are trying to uh, take steps to make amends, to educate themselves, to be better, to, you know, to advocate differently in way that's opposite of what they're doing, then I think we need to allow for that or we're never going to get to where we're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Like who, you know, how, how else are we, how else are we going to, you know, <laughs> how else are we going to get to the place where we can all be dealing with each other? And also too, like, you know, you have to allow for some real life. I'm not saying people should be, you know, uh, uh, doing you know abusing other people and saying oh well that's real life i'm not saying that i'm saying we walk around as human beings and we're Mm going to be human beings so we need to understand that that's who we are and you know like we the 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 journey is you you get better and you get better and you get better it's like you don't tell your children and again not saying that these people these are grown adults who should know better but like, like your children you teach them over the course of their lives and they come to understand what is right and what is wrong through your teachings um, and through experience. So, you know, it's the same with adults, you know, sometimes, unfortunately we've been taught the wrong things or we've been in, you know, and then we learn something and then we do better. And so for, you know, in certain occasions where someone is of the right mind and intent, I think we need to be in a place where we can allow for that. And, you know, so many people talk about it as grace. I think we need to allow some more grace. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes though, some of these people get grace and they don't deserve it, which is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they haven't really in their minds or their hearts or their psyche or their actions or whatever really made amends for what they did wrong. Yeah. And I think that's, that's true. problematic. Yeah. All right. My last series of questions are, are kind of like a lightning round. We'll see how you do. Lightning round of questions. Okay. Um, uh, your your earliest movie memory. Grizzly. The, with my the, aunt. The movie I went Grizzly. To see my, I went to see a movie called Grizzly with my aunt. And I was a little kid and it was the scariest movie. And she and I were both scared out of our wits. And I ended up <laughs> watching most of the movie sitting in her lap. <laughs> Right, right. And I think you and I have joked about, you know, you know, black mamas taking their little babies to see inappropriate yes. movies. Because my yes. mom, I remember my mom taking me to see like the ex, not the extras, uh, oh, Amityville Horror when I was like eight. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what the hell was she right. thinking? What was she thinking? Yeah. I have no idea. Um, uh, your uh, movie Guilty Pleasure. Ooh, my movie Guilty Pleasure. Uh, hmm. Well, when I was younger, it was mm. Dirty Dancing. Oh yeah, I watched that movie over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah, I don't know what it is now. Yeah. I think we know what mine is now. Or you know what mine is? <laughs> what is it? It's in our pitch. Oh yeah. Okay. Pitch perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Uh. Your. The, like the one movie you can watch over and over again, you never get tired of. Or Color any movie. Purple. Really? One. Color Purple. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I can watch that over and over and never get tired of it. Yeah. Um, knowing that you are. That's one that's uh-huh. like classic black women can quote lines from. And, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Made by a Jewish white yeah. man. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um. So knowing that you are a wine connoisseur, so these are going to be wine-related uh, Okay. quick questions. Um, the best wine to drink with fish? Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Uh, is, that, is that a red wine? No, it's white. It's white. Okay. I'm learning. Uh, Hence the Blanc. Yes. Oh, oh of course. Duh. Um, yes. Chicken. Best, best wine, wine to eat with chicken? To drink with chicken, yeah. Uh, hmm, kind of will depend on the chicken dish, but I will say a 
either a Chardonnay mm -hmm. or a Pinot Noir. And these picks you pick, is it because like the combination of the tastes or what is considered culturally appropriate? That you pick um, what the ingredients that are along with the chicken like how mm -hmm. how heavy or rich is, are the ingredients of having mm -hmm. prepared the chicken or is it a light chicken dish with you know like maybe you know a and, and what's your what's your what's your favorite wine in general i am drinking a lot of pinot noir right now yeah which is from the movie sideways okay and why that one It's a well, so he's as he talks about. It's a very it's a it's a wine that's complex and hard to get right. Mm -hmm. And so the thing about it is, it's the it's not as full body as mm -hmm. other red wine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you would almost think, oh, like it's like it's more like a weak wine. It's like no, it's actually it's it's a medium body. Mm -hmm. with if you get it right has the complexities in in taste and flavor of a full-bodied wine mm -hmm. but it's not so heavy so it's like mm -hmm. it's kind of lighter to drink and more interesting you know yeah, yeah. cool okay tense yeah um well i'm probably gonna have to make this a two-part episode because as as i suspected we yes. went kind of long, but yes. I knew it was good. <laughs> and I know we could go forever. I mean, you and I, and I just yes. know someone with so much uh, knowledge that you have, but I appreciate you taking this time. Uh, oh, Virginia says she wanted, once she says hi, and, and when are we all going to get together? She really wants to do that. Yes. Yes, um, for sure. And, uh, and uh, I know at some point, you're talking about your personal projects, um, you doing some kind of wine podcaster show, so... Yes. Looking forward to that because I've recently started drinking. And yeah. I, I don't know how yeah. it comes to it. <laughs> well, I'm going to teach you on my, All right. on That's my right. podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ron. Huge thanks to Yolanda for taking time out of her super busy schedule to talk with me. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed these two episodes, you can get more of me and Yolanda, as well as her comical filmmaker husband, on my other show, the Dungeons and Durax podcast, part of the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network. It's a narrative-style documentary show that comically explores my journey as a black man reconnecting with my blackness. Find it wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This podcast, Crossing the 180, is a production of Blade Runner Media and part of the Pro Video Coalition Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Runner, that's Runner with an O, and you can follow me on Instagram at Blurred Runner. Follow Pro Video Coalition on Twitter at twitter.com slash provideo. Let me take this time to wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Kwanzaa, and a very safe and happy New Year. That's it for now. Until next time, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. See you in 2022.